This, this, this is you. K-U-T. K-U-T, Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my Welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer, and it is always great to see you on the Southwestern University campus. Well, it is always great to be here. And, you know, we are we are having our discussion today just a little bit ahead of Southwestern's commencement. So, mm. you know, there's just a feel. There's a feel on campus. It's sort of, I think it's a combination of exhaustion and <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> well, and the thing, the fact that it's called commencement, I actually have problems with this. Why? Well, because it sounds like something's coming, like it's ending, yeah. And really, I'd rather the attitude be we've practiced now for, you know, 22 years or whatever, and now we're ready to start thinking. We're ready to start creating. We're ready, we're ready to start connecting out, you know, kind of in, in worlds beyond rather than saying it's the end. Right? It's because the, education should not be ending here now, right? It should right. be continuing. So it should be like this is the beginning. So it's it's – or continuation of thinking so that it right. sort of never ends. Exactly. Um, well, thinking about commencement, I started thinking about the actual event itself. Oh, the pomp I and the circumstance? I love the ritual. I love the ceremony, the pomp and circumstance. Yes. And I started thinking about the commencement speech. Elgar, you know, Elgar was the one who wrote pomp and circumstance. Right. Pomp you know and that? circumstance. I did not know that. But right. you learned something new. When you're a liberal arts person, <laughs> even in math, you know things in music. I'm very impressed. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm derailing you. No, I'm impressed that you know that. But it's very symbolic. Very. The commencement speech. Their costumes. Their costumes. Their costumes. There's there's all kinds of things going on. And I was noticing that Southwestern University's commencement speaker, Dr. Sybil Jordan Hampton, she has a really interesting story. And I'm I'm curious about your invitation to her and how you all wound up inviting her to campus to speak at commencement. So it's an interesting story how we, we got her to come to campus, but her life story is far more interesting. And it came about... Uh, because I, you know, I travel a lot and I was on a Southwest Airlines flight and I picked up the Southwest Airlines magazine. Inside there was an article that was profiling the life of Dr. Hampton. And it's a remarkable life that we can talk about. You know, she, she's from Arkansas and kind of had a historic figure through education, especially in the you know 1950s, 1960s, and how African-Americans uh, were treated in terms of formal education. And so kind of what happened to her in Little Rock and, and those stories, I'm reading this about this person in this article, and all of a sudden it's talking about her um, academic career. She, she went into academics and became an administrator, and she was a staff member at Southwestern University. Right here. Yes. And I said, how is it possible <laughs> that this famous person, and I, I just did not know about it. And so you read her story and you hear her contributions to education. Uh, she, most recently, she's the president emerita of the uh, Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, which is a, a foundation that supports uh, educational efforts. And I thought it would be wonderful to have her back. So I reached out to her. This was back in, in December. And we had 
an absolutely remarkable, spectacular conversation on the phone. Her husband actually is a math teacher, so that was kind of a fun little confluence. And when I invited her to come and, and give uh, the commencement address, she really got emotional and said, I, I haven't been back in, in about almost 20 years, and how she would love to come back. And it was very meaningful to her, and it was meaningful to me. And now you fast forward, just a few weeks ago, the board of trustees at their spring meeting voted uh, and approved my recommendation that we award her an honorary degree. And so she'll be receiving an honorary doctorate here at Southwestern. When I called her on Friday the 13th of April to tell her the news, she, she got very emotional. And it was a, just a wonderful moment. And she said to me, well, Ed, thank you not only for this amazing honor, but for making the rest of my Friday the 13th a day of happiness rather than a day of yickiness. Well, she, I mean, she has an incredible resume, I think, starting from from a, a pretty young age, including she was the first African-American student to complete her entire education at Little Rock Central High School. That's right. And you, you were referencing the times that she grew up in, in Arkansas, what all was happening there in history. And I know that her speech is going to be incredible. And her life since then has been incredible. So here's a person who's overcome all sorts of unnecessary and disgraceful adversity. And she comes out the other side being positive, being uplifting, and always looking to the future. And And I think it's a lesson for all of us. I mean, I, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing her words because I know she'll inspire us all. But I think it's a lesson for all of us that uh, if we are experiencing dark times, whether it's uh, locally, globally, whatever, uh, in you know, as we perceive them or otherwise, that there is hope. She's an agent of hope. Well, and that seems like a very appropriate commencement address speech for students who are heading out into what may feel like uncertain times That's right. for them. That's right. Both professionally, educationally, personally, whatever that may be. Um, reading about Dr. Hampton and about her giving the commencement address just made me sort of think about commencement addresses in general. Mm. Do, do you remember your college commencement address? Actually, I do. It was Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes. Wow. What did he tell you all? Well, I will tell you that, you know, and for those uh, listeners who don't remember Andy Rooney, he he would do the last couple of minutes on 60 Minutes, and he would usually kind of in a very curmudgeon-y way complain about this or that, which, which was more comical than actually news, but it was something relatable to a lot of people. And so uh, this was in his prime of being curmudgeon-y. And so he was just being curmudgeon And I remember, I remember the one thing that he did say was, he said, you know, these commencement talks, they always talk about how you're the future and you're going to be the answer. And you know what? I'm still here. And so I'm part of the future, too. <laughs> and, and what I, in, in a very kind of a jovial way, his message was that we have to work together and that it's not all on uh, the young people. It's all on us to solve this stuff, but we have to find ways of working across generations to solve some of the big issues that face us. And I thought it, it was an important point that I remembered. Well, you know, I, I'm i not going to reveal the name of my commencement speaker, and here's why, because the remarks I'm going to say right after that will make it sound like the speech was not good, but it had nothing to do with the <laughs> okay. speech or the speaker. So I remember who my commencement speaker is, and this was in well, many decades ago. Yes. The the issue with the commencement was at my my undergraduate college, they could either do it outside or inside. Right. And inside, of course, was a rain contingency plan. And sure. unfortunately, oh no. 
This was, of course, pre-internet. I guess no one had checked the forecast. So <laughs> it was it was a wee bit cloudy that morning, and a wee bit cloudy gave way to torrential downpours. Unfortunately, that happened after the time certain of making the call. Do we move it inside? So commencement was in the pouring rain, pouring rain outside. They told us, don't open your your case to look at your diploma because it will get drenched. Oh, wow. So we were just getting drenched. The audience oh was getting drenched. I don't have a clear recollection of everything the speaker said because it was raining so hard. And we were sitting alphabetically and the person immediately to my left um, clearly had been enjoying himself the evening before and <laughs> got a little sick to his stomach. Oh, no. So oh, boy. I, I had a few distractions. So I, I can't say that I that I remember the words of wisdom. Can, can I tell you two uh, quick memories as a faculty member attending, attending these things? I'll tell you, I'll share uh, uh, two quick stories. One is... I heard the same person twice give two commencement addresses, and it's very interesting. It was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, and the first time I heard him was when I was being hooded, uh, when I was being awarded my PhD. I really didn't want to go to the the ceremony because it's not like getting an undergraduate degree, but my mom really wanted to see this, and so I did it for her. And he was president at the time, and he gave a very political speech, if you will, on something going on, I think maybe in South America or something, I don't even remember, but it was basically for the cameras and not for the audience. And I'm not being negative, I'm just, that's really what it was. And the reason why I say that is because then I, I heard him and saw him maybe about five years later, and he was no longer president. I bet it was a very different speech. He was hilarious, yeah. he was charming, and if you remember, Dana Carvey used to do imitations yes. of him, and he did an imitation of Dana Carvey imitating uh. him, it was hilarious, and he just killed. I mean, people just loved it. What was interesting there, which is a lesson that I still hold with me today, is that when you're president or the CEO or a leader of something, you you always are kind of on on script, and you can't be funny, and you can't be charming. Be, be, I mean, not that he wasn't, but I mean, but you, you have to be more serious because there's always something that you're you're pushing toward, and you're moving. And yet, when that's behind you, then the real personality can come out. And and I was able to see that with President Bush, and and it was really interesting. All right. Well, all right, Ed, I. I've been putting this off, but I can't put it off any longer. Oh, come on. We, we got to attack the puzzler we now. We want to attack the puzzler. Uh, we want to attack the puzzler Because we now. have 100 people at a party. Well, and who doesn't? They're at, let's, can we say they're at a commencement party? They're at a commencement right, party. They're at a graduation party. They're at a graduation party. And 90, 90 of them love math, okay. which sounds about the right percentage well, on average. I was average. just going to say, that sounds a little off, but no. we'll just go with that. Hey, watch it. All right. <laughs> uh, 80 of them love art. Okay. And 75 of them love philosophy. Okay. And the question is, at the very least, how many people loved all three disciplines? My response when you first read the puzzler was, I think this is trickier than it first appears. We talked about in a previous episode, sort of going with your gut and sort of instinct over puzzling over things right. and intellect. So. I'm going to tell you my gut answer that I don't even actually think is true. But my first answer is, well, duh, it's 75 because 75 would cover that's everybody who loves philosophy. Right. We know that there are 75 who love math. There are now there are more than 75. Right. Right. There are 90. And then we know there are at least 75 that love art because that number is 80. But we don't know that it's the same that, that 75. It's you can't guarantee it. Right. Because you have a few people, exactly stragglers, right? In fact, you could argue that that would be the the most, right? The most. But I'm asking for the, the least. least. 
So it's going to be no more than 75 because only 75 love philosophy. So at least one. Well, that's that's the least, right? Or is Well, but but are there more than one? I mean, so I'm asking for the least that were guaranteed. Oh, at least that were guaranteed. And yes. now see, we're getting into tricky territory. Oh, I'm sorry. Again. Maybe I didn't make the question. No, no, I'm, no, I'm at the no, very no, no. least number right. uh, that's, that will happen. So one will happen, but but I wanted the, 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 biggest, because, the biggest least number. Yeah. Oh, boy, maybe I messed this question No, no, up. no. I'm, I totally follow you. But so now I'm looking at the numbers going, I don't know. Mm. I'm going to. So I go back to my original 75, but that's actually I know that's not correct, but I'm just sort of sharing my. So you want the fewest overlap as possible. 75 is the greatest overlap as possible. I want the fewest overlap as possible. So let's look at the question backwards. Oh, how many do not like math? Ten. Okay. how many do not like art? Twenty. And how many do not like philosophy? Twenty five. Right. So now if we want the fewest people to like them all, then we want to make those numbers as big as possible. So what if they were all just different people? And see, look, I have those off to the side. Oh, I didn't I even was, notice that. Well, there you go. I was so add them all up. So if you add them all up, what do you get? You get fifty-five. Fifty. So fifty-five would be the the kind of maximum number of people who didn't like all three. And so then, what's the opposite of 45. that? Forty-five. And that's the answer. So you did it. I love that. So I love the puzzler. I also am very intrigued by the process here because I started down the path of that's who we know does love it. But the number who doesn't, that's got to tell us something, too. But I sort of abandoned the answer. Well, I, and I wasn't even looking over on, on your scratch sheet there, but, but the numbers are there. And I love the fact that you did something that we've talked about for years now, which is to look at the opposite situation and sometimes the opposite. And if you're looking for the least of one thing, that's the same thing as the most of the opposite. And so make the opposite as big as possible. Assume they're all different people. That's 45. I mean, that's 55. And that gives you 45 left over. I love that one. You know, it's possible I may have just learned a thing or two. Having these discussions with you for four years. Well, and now it's and now it's time to graduate. And now it's time to graduate. Here's, Woohoo! Here's your diploma. Oh, hooray! <laughs> now I do. As we wrap up our conversation about commencement and commencement addresses, I'm going to put you on the spot a little. Yeah. And if yes. you were having to do, let's call it a pop up commencement address, are there some some impactful words that you like to share with? graduates as they head out of Southwestern? There are words that I share. I don't know how impactful they are. The truth is like, just like the person sitting next to you at your graduation, I think they're in various states of repose. Uh, And also uh, (laughs) even if, even if they are not, uh, you know, uh, on uh, any kind of libation, uh, the truth is it's just a a very emotional time. So I don't think anyone's really listening, but I will say um, being thoughtful uh, and, and trying to live a, a joyful life that you are are proud of, uh, where you're making meaning um, and making a difference, however you define that for you, that's that's really it. Everything else is is distraction. Uh, um, can I share one memory? Oh, of course. The most amazing commencement address that I've ever uh, witnessed was Yo-Yo Ma. Really? It was it was remarkable, and he's such a modest individual. He approached the po- the podium, and he said, uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to play a little a piece by Bach. Then I'll come up here, and I'll talk for just a couple minutes, and then I want to conclude with another piece by Bach. Is that okay? Well, of course, the entire audience, you know, of course, erupted oh, in sure. thunderous applause. And I was on stage uh, as a faculty member, so literally I'm, I'm, you know, just yards from him, and there is his Stradivarius cello. And he plays, and this was an outdoor thing, as you were suggesting, some of these are outdoors. 
and it and the music was just bouncing off these buildings and it was so peaceful and so meaningful and then he got up and just shared a few reflections about how important family is and love and that was it and then he went back and played another piece by Bach that was spectacular well and i really think that speaks to that that kinsman addresses don't have to be over the top overblown dramatic you know just speaking from the heart really kind of gets us there. In fact, I would say it's even more memorable when you're making it real personal and not generic. Well, Dr. Ed Berger, thank you for never being generic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. 